You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 12. We're going to continue rolling through our series here called Return of the King. And as you turn in your Bibles, I'm just curious, how many of you would say, and again, I know you're humble, so I'm not asking for humility here, I'm asking for honesty. How many of you would say that you were a good student growing up? Come on now. Okay. I lo- look at the humility, like, you know, yeah, it was pretty good. All right, good student. How many of you would say you, you had the ability to absorb a lot of content Maybe you're one of, those, one of those students that you only like read the book the day before the exam and all your friends hated you because you got 100% on the exam. Okay. How many of you were saying, I was not a good student? And you're here? I acknowledge you. I see you. That is okay. It's okay. School's done. We're done. I don't know about you, but I always had this guy in my class, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this, but I've always had the one dude who would raise his hand you know, somewhere near the middle of the season, maybe even closer to the end, toward the final. He'd raise his hand. He would go, excuse me, miss, is this going to be on the final? Remember that guy? Like, we're all over here trying to take notes, and we're, like, capturing everything. It's like, this is our job to figure out what we need to know. And he would just go, you know what, just tell me, what do I need to know to pass the exam? Remember that guy? Man, did you like him? I know. The older I get, I respect that guy more and more. I mean, the, the older I get, the more I realize that that dude was far ahead of his time. Think about it. Pages and pages of notes, multiple reading assignments, multiple lesson plans. You are swimming in content. And so it's actually not a bad question to say, excuse me, miss, what do I need to know? Of all of this stuff, what is the heart of what you want me to learn. I was just wondering, could could you boil it down for me? What's the most important thing here? That's his question. I think that there are people in our life who ask that exact question. They, They ask a similar question, but not about math, not about history, not about geography, but about the Bible. I think there are people who who are asking that exact question about about God, about faith. I mean, there's a lot of content here. 66 books, countless stories, numerous lessons. we got parables, prophecies, proverbs, poetry. It's not a bad question, friends. There's a lot here. And so if we could boil it all down, what's the most important thing here? If we could boil it all down, what matters most to God? What, what is the essence of his teaching? At the end of the day, I want to know ultimately, what does God want from me? What is the, the point of all of this? Let me ask it to you a different way. What is the heart of God? What's the heart of God? How would you answer that question? For the next few moments, I want to show you that the dude that was in my class and and maybe the dude that was in your class, he was actually around a couple thousand years ago, and the same dude wanders into Jesus' classroom. And he raises his hand. He goes, excuse me, Mr. Jesus, I was just wondering, what's the heart of God? 
So this man is in the same boat with the same question, and we get to see Jesus answer. Are you ready? Would you guys like to see this for a few moments? Don't tell me you are if you're not, because I'm going to show you anyway. Mark chapter 12. Let me read to you verses 28 through 34, and then we're going to break it down. So here's God's word for his people. Hmm. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Father, would you show us beautiful things from your word? Open the eyes of our hearts, open our minds, give us understanding so that we may not just know facts, but that we may know God. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to this sacred moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's look at this text. Let's break it down verse by verse and see what God is saying through this passage. It begins like this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? This is his question. Which commandment is most important to God? We're going to get to that question, but I'm just curious real quick. Does anybody else notice this guy? Does anybody else notice the man who's asking the question? We find here a scribe. So one of the scribes, he actually arrives late to the meeting. He thought the gathering started at 10.30, right? It's like whatever time it is. He arrives late to the meeting, and when he walks in, he hears Jesus and his fellow religious leaders going at it. And so he hears their questions. He hears Jesus' answers. He, he then hears the scribes' objections back to Jesus. But notice this. As he hears the back and forth, as he hears Jesus' answers to his fellow religious leaders, he can't help but admit he's not wrong, though. Right? This man is not a follower of Jesus, and yet, in his heart of hearts, he breaks from his fellow camp. He breaks from the religious leaders, and he goes, I, I kind of got to side with Jesus on this one. I got to give it to him. He answered them well. You see, for the other scribes, Jesus' answer produced outrage and anger because it wasn't the answer they wanted to hear. And yet, for this scribe, there's something different. When he hears Jesus' answers, when he hears his wisdom, when he hears his stunning truths, he can't help but acknowledge, this is good. He can't help but acknowledge that, that Jesus' answers have a ring of truth to it, that they come across as wise. 
And so this scribe, he draws near. It's his turn. He draws near, but not to trap him with questions, but to get from him answers. There's something inside of this scribe who says, Jesus can provide answers to my questions. So he came and asked him. Do you guys get it? This man just took a massive step forward on his journey toward truth. This man just took a major milestone in his journey for understanding because he has just come to the point where he realizes Jesus has answers to my questions. Anyone out there have questions this morning? Mm-hmm, right? See, it doesn't matter if you're the most zealous person in this room or if you're the most skeptical person in this room. To some extent, all of us are looking for direction, right? All of us are looking, we're, we're asking the big questions about life. All of us are trying to make sense of our world. Every single one of you in this room, you, you want to live a meaningful life. I, I want to find purpose. I want to understand how the world works. I have questions. And maybe you're even like the scribe here. Because you have found that the answers that come out of your camp, the answers that are coming from your tribe and party, are found lacking and found wanting. But maybe we can be like the scribe this morning as we come with our questions and we realize that maybe, just maybe, maybe we can't help but wonder whether or not this Jesus really has some answers after all. Guys, what if this Jesus figure really, really has something to say? to our questions. And so that's where this scribe comes to him. So he comes and he asks him, and look at his question here. Which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment? How many commandments do you know? Sunday school time, right? I got the big 10. How many of you know the big 10, aka the 10 commandments? Okay, so in the Bible, there's Moses, right? The Ten Commandments. Everybody, even, even, you know, non-religious people are familiar with the Ten Commandments. But let's take it to the next level. Do you know that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, that they identified 613 unique commandments? 613. And so we're going to go through them today. And so number one, right? 613 commandments in the Bible. What was this man's profession? Who knows? What do you see? He was a scribe, a.k.a. he was a specialist in interpreting the law. He was a lawyer who knew the ins and outs of God's moral and legal code. No one gives the law more meticulous detail. No one knows the ins and outs and has meticulous detail and attention than this guy. He knows the law. And yet in the midst of all of the rules in the midst of all of the religious activity, in the midst of all the offerings and the sacrifices and the festivals and the emphases, here is a man who is wondering, what's the essence of it all? Jesus, I know this. I know it backwards, inside out. I know it in my sleep, but I'm just wondering if you could boil it all down here. What does God want from me? What's the most important thing to God? Again, maybe you're here and and all you know of faith, all you know of Jesus is religious activity and busyness and do this and don't do this and do more. And maybe you're here like the scribe and you're going, but what's the point? What's the heart of God? So Jesus gives an answer. Look what he says. 
Jesus answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This man comes with his questions and Jesus gives him an answer. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, the most important, the most important thing to God, the most important command is, drum roll, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.4. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.4, which begins like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is one of one. He is the Lord alone. He is the one true God. And all the other gods are counterfeit gods. Therefore, if there's no one else beside him, then love nothing else above him. There is no other God. And so love him above all else. Love the Lord, your God. That's the essence of it all. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the commandments, all of the books, the essence of it, God wants your heart. So all of your religious activity for God is secondary, and it should flow from a wholehearted devotion to God. We're here this morning, and we're saying, God, what do you want from me? And he says, all I want is all of you. That's it. All I want is all of you. God wants all of you. A wholehearted love, a wholehearted devotion that touches every single aspect of who we are. He goes, I want you to love the Lord your God. I want you to love him with all of the affections of your heart. The seat of your emotion, the direction of your life, from the wellspring from which all of your decisions and actions come, love him with that part of you. He says, I want you to love him with all of the longing of your soul, the longing of your being, the direction that your soul is facing in this universe is God. He says, I want you to love him with the focused diligence of your mind. God made us as rational beings, intellectual beings, because I want you to love him with your mind, with thoughts that are worthy of him, with an understanding that is deserving of him. I want you to worship him with your minds. And then look what he says. He says, I want you to love him with all your strength, with all the zeal and the passion and the energy of your life. How do people know what you're passionate about? Your time, right? You're giving your energy towards certain things. Love him with that. Every aspect of your person is to be touched. It is to be consumed with your orientation to God. That's it. All I want is all of you. There's not one aspect of my life over which God does not cry, mine. Jesus doesn't say to you this morning, the first important commandment, believe in God. He doesn't say believe in God. He says love your God. Love your God. Let me, let me give you a, 
perhaps a silly metaphor here, but if your life was an iPhone, okay, just bear with me, I promise, we're going somewhere. If your life was an iPhone, is God one of the many apps on your phone? Maybe he's even the first among many, but, but is he just one of the many apps on your phone that vie for your attention? One of the many apps that command your heart and your mind? Is he just one of the many apps that you have to juggle and balance to make sure everything gets done? Or is he the operating system that the entire phone is running on? Is he the phone itself that gives meaning to and everything else takes its cue from your OS? All right, you're not super geeky. Let me give you another metaphor for my non-geeks. If your life was a planet, I said non-geeks, I know. If your life was a planet, is God one of the many planets in your solar system that revolve around your will? Here's my life, here's what I want, here's my plans, here's my desires, here's what's important to me, and God is just one of the many planets that orbits around it. Or is God the bright shining sun at the center of your existence around which everything else revolves and every other endeavor in your life and every other relationship and every single output takes its cue from God at the center? Guys, it is so easy to do things for God. I, I feel like I grew up with, with a brand of Christianity. And maybe that's not even fair. Maybe it's my own immaturity. But I grew up with an understanding that God wanted me to do more. Give him my time. Give him my money. Give him a sacrifice of abstinence. Give him this amount of volunteer hours. Give him the, I just do things for God. But what I'm realizing as I get older is that's easy. It's easy to do more things for God, but he doesn't want more things. He wants you. He wants your heart. God, what do you want? All I want is all of you. And so my takeaway for you, friends, here, my first one, is what has the number one spot in your life? What has the number one spot of your affections. Let me say it this way. What do you love above all else with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength? Well, of course it's God. I mean, I'm a Christian. It's God. No, but like, let, let just, let's let Jesus speak to us. Let's not get defensive there, and let's ask ourselves the questions. What captures our imagination? What stirs the affections of our soul? What gets us Mm, fist pumping and, and pumped up. What gets our, our, our adrenaline rushing? What do you long for? Maybe you can ask it more practically. What has the lion's share of your time and attention? Is it God? And I'm not here this morning to, to be like, you need, I'm a we. I'm, this is a we assessment, okay? What captures our imagination in 2023 this morning? What is the sun at the center of our universe? And I'll tell you this, whatever the answer is, if it's something other than God, that is called an idol. It's called an idol. See, we think of idols, we, we tend to think of idols as little statues that they used to do in the ancient times and how archaic, but now we're refined. We have iPhones. <laughs> no, no, an idol is not about being a piece of wood. The idol is whatever competes with your attention and affection for God. 
One of my favorite pastors, the late, great Tim Keller, listen to his definition of idols. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. What's number one? Your money? Is it acquiring houses? Sports? Relationships? Politics? Is it possible that even some of your idols look noble? The ideal family? How many sacrifices do we make at the altar of the ideal family, right? Ministry involvement? What is number one in your heart? And Jesus says, all I want is all of you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. So there's the answer, right? All of this, the essence of it, is love God. And so I imagine the scribe taking his notes. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. capital G, yes, okay, love God. And then Jesus says, wait, there's more. And look what Jesus says. He, he jumps on, he continues, and he says here, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but did he ask for the top two? How many did he ask for? One. He's like, Jesus, I'm slow. Boil it down for me. Tell me the one most important thing. Help me to understand the essence of this thing. But Jesus' answer shows us, guys, that you cannot separate these twin pillars of importance to God. To love God and to love your neighbor are so deeply intertwined that they cannot be separated. And it makes sense. You can't love God who you can't see and not love the people who are made in his image who you can see, who you can talk to, who you can interact with, who you can offend, who you can frustrate. These are intertwined. To truly love God above all else requires that we treat those who are made in his image with dignity, respect, and love. And so you love God as yourself. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what he says. He he doesn't say love your fellow man, period. Because that would be that would be common. Like anybody can say, love your fellow man, love your neighbor. He doesn't say that. He adds an intensifier here. He adds a line item. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them as important as yourself. He adds this intensifier, which gives us the definition. Like, how do you love your neighbor? How do I know if I'm reaching the standard of loving my neighbor? He goes, here's how. How much do you love yourself? Love them that much. How much do you love yourself? On a scale of one to, no, I'm not going to ask you that, right? Somebody reminded me of the great philosopher named Terrell Owens, the football player, who said, I love me some me, end quote. Yeah. How much do you love yourself? Don't be modest. Come on. How much do you love yourself? Honestly, let's do a little litmus test. You're being shy. Okay, so when you're hungry, do you feed yourself? Oh, for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, When you're not hungry, do you feed yourself? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, When you're cold, 
when you're cold, do you, do you clothe yourself? Yeah, most of you are wearing clothes this morning, okay. Um, when you're uncomfortable, do you do something about it? Yeah. When you make a mistake, do you give yourself grace? Do you give yourself the benefit of the doubt? Do you, do you go, well, you know, you got to understand his character. What Jesus is saying here is that he wa- God wants you to treat the people in your orbit with the same attention, the same respect, the same kindness, the same care that we would ourselves. My Boy Scouts, we know this. The golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's another summary statement. He goes, let me boil it down to you. Here's what you need to know. All of the law and the prophets, all of the commandments can be summarized. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Simple, right? (laughs) Except we know that from the beginning of human history, sin has destroyed relationships. We don't even have to go to human history. Go to personal history. From the moment, from the earliest moments that you brought home that little alien that you birthed from the hospital, right? You know that sin rears its ugly head with me, mine, I want, I need, me. Sin wants to put ourselves above other people. Sin divides. Sin destroys relationships. Sin produces selfishness and hostility and opposition. And I apologize to all of the little aliens in the room who took offense at that comment. That was very insensitive. But I'm glad you're here. But you see, Jesus came to deal with the sin breaker. Jesus came and, by, and he would go on to die on a cross. He would come to pay for our sins and defeat the power that sin has over us so that we are no longer characterized by sin and selfishness and division. He has now given us a ministry of reconciliation. And when people see the community of God loving each other and reconciled to each other and getting along, especially with people who are different from them and diverse, the world goes, wait a minute, that's different, that's weird. And we go, yes, it's because Jesus dealt with the sin problem. Our unity, our diversity in unity communicates to the watching world, God brings people together. And so we love one another. And so I ask you, how can you see your neighbor this week? How can you tune in to the needs around you? To whom can you show respect? Who in your life is giving you, this is a nice way to put it, who in your life is giving you an opportunity to treat them better than they deserve? It's a nice way to put it, right? You're giving me an opportunity to treat you better than you deserve. Think of it that way. Who can you radiate love and kindness and respect to? Can you brighten someone's day with a genuine smile? I challenge you this morning, church. Ask God for an opportunity. Ask him for a unique opportunity to love your neighbor this week and see what he does. And then tell us about it. I'd love to hear it. And as you do it, know that you're loving God and doing what he's called us to do and what's important to him. Love God and love your neighbor. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the essence. God's law, his entire moral code is summarized succinctly into these twin pillars. Love God, church, with a wholehearted devotion and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's his answer. And let's end by looking at the scribe's response 
to this answer. Last couple of verses. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The last thing we see in our passage to agree with Jesus is to come close to the kingdom. To agree with Jesus is to come close to the kingdom. Look at the scribe. We've already seen that not everyone who calls him teacher is teachable. Remember that? But listen to what he says. He hears Jesus' response and he says, you are right, teacher. We hear no objections. There's no walking away in a huff. There's no plot to destroy Jesus. This time, from this scribe, we see that he does something profound. He agrees with Jesus. You are right. That's the heart of faith. You are right, Jesus. That's the heart of faith. You see, we come to Jesus with our questions. We, we come to Jesus wondering how the world works. We ask him about taxes and the afterlife. We ask him about priorities. We ask him about sexuality. We ask him about decision-making. We have questions about relationships. We have questions about finances. And all of those questions, as he answers us, we see the formula of faith. At the end of the day, will we respond by saying, you are right, teacher. You know more than me. Don't you just want your kid? We should like teach this to our kids sometimes, right? You are right, mother. You know more than me. (laughs) That's what he said. There's a humility here. You know more than me. You know better than me. Jesus, I admit you are the source of truth, not my feelings, not my interpretation of the data, not my limited perspectives. You are right. At the end of the day, we're all going to be one or the other kind of scribes. Are we the scribes who object and go, no, but I'm, 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 we try to cancel Jesus? Or is it, you're right. You're, it may not have been the answer I wanted to hear, but I got to admit, I got to break from my camp. I got to disagree with my own party and my own tribe. I, I have to give it to him. He answers well. You are right. And so I love how he echoes back here, all of my counseling friends, right? He's not just hearing him, he's listening. He's practicing active listening. He's tracking with him. He goes, Jesus, you're right. And he echoes back to him everything that Jesus said, showing that he has understood and that he believes. He correctly summarizes Jesus' conclusion, and I think he got it right. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives an answer here. we got to see this because this is really what all of us want. Jesus says words that anybody in this room would love to hear. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. In other words, my friend, you may not know me yet. 
You may not be my follower. You, have may, you may have not even gone all in and gotten baptized. You may not count yourself one of my disciples, but you need to know this, that you're starting to understand the key to all of this. Scribe, you're starting to figure it out. You are starting to live your life in reality of God's rule and reign. He is saying to him a profound statement. He goes, guys, I know you're asking your questions, but you're starting to live as life itself was designed to be lived in God's kingdom. You're you're starting, as you're stumbling through your questions here, scribe, as you're wrestling with your doubts, as you're wrestling with all of these truths, I just want you to know you're starting to get it. And how did he get there? He agreed with Jesus. To agree with Jesus is to come close to the kingdom. East Point Church, when you agree with Jesus, you're starting to align your life with ultimate reality. You're starting to align your life with God's purposes for your life. When you agree with Jesus, you're starting to understand what matters. You're starting to get it. You're starting to know how God designed the world. When you agree with Jesus... You're starting to live according to the design called the kingdom of God. And so I wonder, are you living in the kingdom of God this morning? Or are you still living where I used to live? In the kingdom of me. Remember the kingdom of me? Yeah, the kingdom of me. I sit on the throne. I rule and reign. I am the monarch and everyone else is my loyal, not so loyal, subjects. But here's the thing. When you live in the kingdom of me, you find out really fast that you are a lousy king because you can't give yourself what you want. When you're in the kingdom of me, things don't work because life was not designed to revolve around you. And so that's why Jesus calls you. And he says, come to the kingdom of God. Come and, come and align your life with how life was designed to work. Come and let it click. Come and experience ultimate reality where I rule and reign over your life. Come into a relationship where you realize that the designer really does know best. And so what's the heart of God? What's the heart of God? Love God. Love people. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple, right? It's easy. It's simple. Until you take 10 steps out the door. (laughs) until you wake up on Monday morning and you realize that there are so many things competing for the affections of your heart. It's so simple until you wake up this Wednesday and your children are screaming like banshees at the top of their lungs at you and you're just like, love my neighbor as myself, love my neighbor as myself. It's simple. It's profound. And yet we know it's not easy. We know that we don't perfectly love God We know we don't perfectly love our neighbor just because I'm wearing a microphone. I'm no better than you. But here's what I do know, and here's what I believe. That this same Jesus, he perfectly loved the Father. Do you know that? Every moment of his life, every moment of his existence on earth, he never put anything above God. God was always number one. He lived to love the Father. And he also perfectly loved his neighbor. Even those guys, even those girls, even his enemies, even those who wish to destroy him. This is a man who's hanging from the cross, being crucified, saying, God, please forgive them. 
not me. But here's the good news. The same man who perfectly loved the Father, the same man who perfectly loved his neighbor, also perfectly loves me. And he invites me and he invites you to come into his family. He says, I know you have failed. I love you anyway. I know you failed, church. He loves you anyway. And he invites you to come into his family so that as you follow him, you can learn, filled with his spirit and guided by his word and surrounded by his family, how to love God and how to love people. Let's love like Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that even though we are far from loving, you still love us. And so, Lord, our response to these commands is is not to just try harder. Our response is not just be better. Our response is, oh, Jesus, I need you. There's no way I can love God perfectly. There's no way I can love my neighbor as myself unless you handle the sin within my heart. So, Lord, would you transform our hearts so that we can love you with all of our heart? Transform our minds so we can love you with all of our mind. Transform our souls so we can love you with all of our souls. Transform and renew our strength so we can love you with all of our strength. Strengthen weak hands and weak knees this morning. And Father, as we go from here filled with love, pray that we would be known for our love so that the world will know that love exists and that his name is Jesus. We love you, God. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.